Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So readings in Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, Canto 4, Chapter 27. And today I'm going to uh, just read the Sanskrit and the translation for text 10, then summarize uh, the purport, and then move to uh, text 11. I had thought yesterday's class would be on text 10, but it wasn't, so I was surprised. So I'm going to uh, put those together. That's all right. Teshu Tadriktahadeshu Griha koshanu jivashu Nirudhena mamatvena Vishayeshvava badhyata Vishayeshvava badhyata Teshu tadrik tahadeshu Griho koshanu jivashu Nirudhena mamatvena Vishayeshvan vabadhyata Somebody else? Teshu to them Tat Rikta Hereshu, the plunders of his money. Griha, home. Kosha, treasury. Anujivishu, to the followers. Nirudhena, deep rooted. Mamatvena, by attachment. Vishayeshu, to sense objects. Anvabadhyata, become bound. Translation. These sons and grandsons were virtually plunderers of King Puranjana's riches, including his home, treasury, servants, secretaries, and all other paraphernalia. Puranjana's attachment for these things was very deep-rooted. So I'm going to just go to text 11. Ihecha Kratubir gore dikshita pashumarakai devan pritrin butapatin nanakamo yatabhavan. Translation The great sage Narda continued, My dear King Prachinibarhishat, like you, King Puranjan also became implicated in so many desires. Thus he worshipped demigods forefathers and social leaders and various sacrifices with various sacrifices which were all very ghastly because they were inspired by the desire to kill animals purport by ac bhaktivedanta swami prabhupada in this verse the great sage narada discloses that the character of puranjana was being described to give lessons to king prachinibarhishat actually the entire description was figuratively describing the activities of King Prachinibarhisat. In this verse, Narda frankly says, like you, Yata Bhavan, which indicates that King Puranjan is none other than King Prachinibarhisat himself. Being a great Vaishnava, Narda Muni wanted to stop animal killing in sacrifices. He knew that if he tried to stop the king from performing sacrifices, the king would not hear him. Therefore, he is describing the life of Puranjan. But in this verse, he first discloses the intention, although not fully, by saying, like you. Generally, the karmis who are attached to increasing descendants have to have to perform so many sacrifices and worship so many demigods for future generations, as well as to satisfy so many leaders, politicians, philosophers, and scientists to make things go on properly for future, future generations. 
The so-called scientists are very eager to see that future generations will live very comfortably, and as such, they are trying to find different means of generating energy to drive locomotives, cars, airplanes, and so on. Now they are exhausting the petroleum supply. These activities are described in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 241. Those who are on the spiritual path are resolute in purpose, and their aim is one, O beloved child of the Kurus. The intelligence of those who are irresolute is many-branched. Actually, those who are in knowledge of everything are determined to ex- execute Krishna consciousness. But those who are rascals or mudhas, sinners, duskritina, and the lowest of mankind, naradama, who are bereft of all intelligence, maya, mayaya pahrita jana, and who take shelter of the demoniac weight of life, asuram bhavam ashrita, are disinterested in Krishna consciousness. As such, they become implicated and take on so many activities. Most of these activities center around the killing of animals. Modern civilization is centered around animal killing. Karmis are advertising that without eating meat, their vitamin value or vitality will be reduced. So to keep oneself fit to work hard, one must eat meat and to digest meat, one must drink liquor. And to keep the balance of drinking wine and eating meat, one must have sufficient sexual intercourse to keep, it, keep fit to work very hard like an ass. There are two ways of animal killing. One way is the name of religious sacrifices. All the religions of the world, except the Buddhists, have a program for killing animals in place of worship, places of worship. According to Vedic civilization, the animal eaters are recommended to sacrifice a goat in the temple of Kali under certain restrictive rules and regulations and eat the flesh. Similarly, they are recommended to drink wine by worshipping the goddess Chandika. The purpose is restriction. People have given up all this restriction. Now, They are regularly opening wine distilleries and slaughterhouses and indulging in drinking alcohol and eating flesh. A Vaishnava Acharya like Narada Muni knows very well that persons engaged in such animal killing in the name of religion are certainly becoming involved in the cycle of birth and death, forgetting the real aim of life to go back home, back to Godhead. Thus, the great sage Narada, while instructing Srimad Bhagavatam to Vyasa Muni, condemned the karmakanda, fruit of activities mentioned in the Vedas. Narada told Vyasa, Jugu Psitam Dharma Krite Nushashata, Svabhava Raktasya Mahan Vyati Kramaha, Yad Vakyato Dharma Iti Ra Stito, the people in general are naturally inclined to enjoy, and you have encouraged them in that way in the name of religion. This is verily condemned and is quite unreasonable. Because they are guided under your instructions, they will accept such activities in the name of religion and will hardly care for prohibitions. Bhagavatam 1.5.15 Srila Narada Muni chastised Vyasadeva for compiling so many Vedic supplementary scriptures which are all intended for guiding the people in general. Narada Muni condemned these scriptures because they do not mention direct devotional service. Under Narada's instructions, direct worship of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as described in the Srimad Bhagavatam, was set forth by Vyasadeva. The conclusion is, that neither the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vishnu nor his devotee ever sanctions animal killing in the name of religion. Indeed, Krishna incarnated himself as Lord Buddha to put an end to animal killing in the name of religion. Animal sacrifice under the name of religion is con- conducted by the influence of Tamoguna, the mode of ignorance, 
as indicated in the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, yaya dharmam adharmam cha karyam cha karyam eva cha ayatavat prajanati buddhi sa partharajasi adharmam dharmam itiya manyate tamas tamasavrita sarvata sarvatan viparitams cha buddhi sa partatamasat that understanding which cannot distinguish between the religious way of life and the irreligious, between action that should be done and action that should not be done, that imperfect understanding, O son of Prita, is in the mode of passion. That understanding which considers irreligion to be religion and religion to be irreligion under the spell of illusion and darkness and strives always in the wrong direction, O Partha, is in the mode of ignorance." Those who are involved in the mode of ignorance manufacture religious systems for killing animals. Actually, dharma is transcendental. As Lord Sri Krishna teaches, we must give up all other systems of religion and simply surrender unto him. Sarva dharma prijaja. Thus the Lord and his devotees and representatives teach the transcendental dharma, which does not allow animal killing at all. At the present moment, it is the greatest misfortune that in India, many so-called missionary workers are spreading irreligion in the name of religion. They claim an ordinary human being to be God and recommend meat-eating for everyone, including so-called sannyasis. Wow, that was a very, very long verse and purport. Thank you. Such a lot in that for us to think about today. So, um, just to go back to verse 10 that leads up to this verse, uh, to summarize it a little bit, Prabhupada is commenting uh, in the verse uh, how the householder, the materialistic householder, is simply focused on accumulating a lot of possessions like a nice home, money in the bank, and all the paraphernalia that goes with that. And because they spend so much energy working on these things, their minds and hearts naturally become attached to those things. So much so that they don't even mind that their family are the ones enjoying them. They don't uh, mind working very hard, accumulating so many things for someone else, because they are thinking... They're working hard for this person's purpose is very noble, and that doing uh, this sort of duty is the prime goal in life. Prabhupada tells in the purport a story of a businessman he knew in India who, just like Paranjan, was very much sexually inclined, and he had half a dozen wives, if you can imagine, in modern day, in in those days, Indians, half a dozen wives, six wives, and each wife had a separate house uh, that required all kinds of paraphernalia, which cost him thousands and thousands of rupees to maintain. And Prabhupada said that he noticed while he was speaking with this man that the only conversation topic that he was interested in was how to make more money that his family could consume. Prabhupada explains, such a person is a mudha, or a fool. They simply work hard for someone else's gratification, while they are themselves foaming at the mouth just for for two chapatis. Such a person has no interest to return their wealth in any way, even a portion of their wealth, to the actual source and owner of that wealth, who is none other than Lord Sri Krishna. And because Krishna is the source of all wealth, he is actually the owner of all wealth. And so when we do not use our wealth in the service of the owner of all wealth, we are actually thieves. It's a pretty heavy point, actually, when you think of how we spend our money, which is not the only way we spend energy. Our energy is also wealth in so many ways. Actually, Lakshmi Devi, the goddess of fortune, is a person, just like Krishna is a person, Uh, We call her in the West Lady Luck. Uh, She's a personality of wealth. And um, she only wants to be used in the service of her Lord Narayan, who is an expansion of Krishna. So when she is not used in the service of the Lord, then she leaves the place. She leaves the person. 
So uh, we see in India uh, the Tata family and the Birla family, one of their projects in using their money is to always build a temple. Every year they're trying to use at least a portion of their money, a good portion of it, for establishing places uh, for religious activities. So that's one way they have been able to keep their money so long because they're always investing it back into the source of their life. So... um, Prabhupada explains in the purport that when a person only uses their wealth for mundane uh, sense gratification, it eventually leads them to poverty because Lakshmi Devi will leave a place when she's not used in the service of her Lord. We saw that practically in the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire. You know, they, they reached a level of wealth. We're seeing it now in the American Empire, so-called, that gradually these, these cultures who have lived with an enormous amount of wealth, they have used it only for frivolous activities, for temporary activities, for uh, uh, luxurious, unnecessary activities, and so gradually the wealth left. Lakshmi Devi, she left. Um, and that's happening. Probably it's happening in Australia as we speak, as, as we see this Western materialistic culture expanding more and more. You're going to see gradually these first world countries are going to become third world countries. It's just a matter of time. So in the, t- the verse today, uh, text 11, Narada Muni is saying to King Prachinibarhishat that like him, uh, King Paranjan also became implicated in so many desires, and therefore he worshipped demigods, his forefathers, and social leaders by performing all kinds of sacrifices which were ghastly because they were inspired by the desires to kill animals. Uh, in the purport, we heard Prabhupada passionately explaining how a Vaishnava like Narada Muni is eager to stop animal killing of all kinds, not just cows, uh, not just ritual killing of a goat, but the killing of all living beings like ants and bees and birds and and especially cows. But uh, Vaishnava is interested to stop it because it does such a detriment to one's consciousness to live from killing other living beings. It destroys one's sensitivity and ability to be compassionate. Prabhupada explains that because uh, the people who are attached to increasing their descendants by uh, busy is trying to establish something in this life so their future generations will continue very comfort- comfortably are actually fools. Uh, but we can practice, practically see today in so-called modern society how scientists... Uh, and technicians, they're endeavoring all the time to develop new things, new technologies to ensure the comfort of future generations. And the, we see also practically the more they try to do that, the more uh, the opposite happens, the more the Earth's energies are becoming depleted. And all these demoniac uh, endeavors to create comfortable situations on the material platform, they're having an opposite effect. They're creating so much discomfort for everyone. Uh, We can practically see the impact of climate change in in having uh, all in the environment as a result of these uh, consumeristic uh, opulences or these things that we're creating. And uh, what the implication is, is that the future generation may not even have a planet worth living on at all because of the activity. I mean, we think that's funny, but the reality is that that could well be uh, the case. Uh, We can see in Australia right now, since I've been here, even this morning, it smells like a charcoal. I mean, wake up and it smells like an ashtray. It was like that a couple of days ago. And I, of course, asked my son, are we we near these fires? But uh, apparently they're quite far away. Still, we're smelling the effects of this this fire. It's devastating. And... um, these are there's not just fires happening right now as we speak. Apparently in Indonesia, there's some kind of floods happening, devastating again. They've had tsunamis there, and uh, then of course you have earthquakes in another place. All over the world, there is this uh, imbalance happening in the ecosystem, and uh, this is all due to our excessive consumption of unnatural things. 
And not only that, but not offering whatever we have back to the source of all those things and not using them in the service of the proprietor of all things, which is uh, Krishna. So many species are dying due to the loss of the ecosystem. There's no place for them to live. Uh, even uh, where I am involved in the temple in Washington, they have so many deer running around eating plants in your backyard because the, you know, gradually as they've de- they built houses, they have no place to be. So they're roaming around, you know, wildly trying to find food. And we know in some public parks that beer, deer and tigers and lions and stuff are coyotes. They come down into human habitat because their habitat is being destroyed systematically. So we, we can see also today there are some materialistic people who have some interest. They're starting to think, oh, you know, my life and my family's life is going to be threatened by all these imbalances in the ecology. And um, they start to get really focused on recycling plastic bottles or planting a few trees or maybe they drive an electric car or they do so many things. But the one thing they don't really look at is how much pollution um, animals, animal factory farming creates, more so than even cars. These big slaughterhouses, they, the, all, the, all the waste from the animals get, seeps down into the water system. We're starting to experience that in America, where the, neighbors, the neighborhoods that are living around slaughterhouses, they can't even drink their water because it's just so full of the waste of these uh, factory farms. Not only that, all of the pollution's going in the air as well. And then, of course, people are eating these animals that are full of pesticides, and we have rampant cancer. I mean, that's the one, one disease that all over America maintains our hospitals. If hospitals didn't have a cancer program, they couldn't have enough money to maintain those, those institutions. So uh, a healthy person doesn't need a doctor. A dead person doesn't need a doctor. So in order to keep people coming back and getting medication and getting treatment, you have to keep them sick. So we do that by our lifestyle. Our, we call it in America the standard American diet, the SAD, the standard SAD, SAD diet uh, that makes us sad, eating uh, all this kind of polluted food. So uh, some people, they get really interested in ecology and they uh, do some kinds of things, um, but it's not enough. Uh, It's not enough. And they're not really interested in giving up meat, fish, and eggs as the result. It's not just that, but it's also leather products uh, that kill living beings as part of the manufacturing process. Even silk, the silk that we use perhaps for our deity worship, for our clothes. They also are made by boiling, to boiling, boiling alive um, cocoons that, that somehow or other in that process make the cocoon fiber possible to weave it into saris and uh, cloth. And um, gradually we are, we are starting to see, see people who are even risking their lives to be a voice for change. I'm sure if you've been watching the news in the past few months, we have had uh, a Swedish girl named Greta Thornburg, who's 14, who has come to America. She has started a resistance movement amongst the teenagers, uh, and uh, adults are following and supporting her. But um, she became aware as she started to study in her school how uh, the impact of our consumerism is... is, uh, affecting the planet. And she realized that she could not continue living the way that she was living and have good conscience if she didn't change her life. That was a very smart girl. She apparently had autism or some kind of uh, disorder that makes you really focused and determined uh, on a direction. It's very hard to see black and white, uh, the gray area. So that worked to her advantage. And I was really very impressed by her passion about this issue because it's, it's probably the most important world issue right now is, um, is how are we going to live in a planet that we're destroying systematically all the time. 
Even Prabhupada, he could foresee when he was on the planet that uh, if people continued to exploit Mother Earth, that uh, it would lead to scarcity. He used to talk about it all the time. Um, not only Prabhupada uh, predicted this, but back way back in the 17 and 1800s in the United States, uh, Native American people, the indigenous people, could see just by watching the Western settlers who were coming into America that they were predicting that if they continued with this arrogant attitude of exploiting the earth for their sense gratification, over time um, they would destroy the earth. Perhaps you know the famous Native American uh, chief named Sitting Bull. He's very famous in America, and people quote him all the time because he was such a visionary about taking care of the earth. And um, he is quoted as having said, a great Native... uh, uh, They, the white men, claim this mother of ours, the earth, for their own, and they fence their neighbors away. They deface her with their buildings and their refuse. That nation is like a spring that overruns its banks and destroys all who are in its path. We cannot dwell side by side. But now this exploitative lifestyle has spread over the whole planet. It's not just, you know, in America. We have spread this materialistic disease through computers and television and through tourist travels and stuff. And people all all over the world have learned and are learning from Americans and the Western world, how to exploit Mother Nature, how to uh, enjoy. And it's having a terrible impact on the entire planet. Everyone is being affected by this, even the Hare Krishna devotees who have been in floods. We've had uh, in Arizona, I think Tucson, they had some kind of fire. Uh, I think in Puerto Rico there was a either a hurricane or something, devastated the temple. Some guru coolies went over, they patched it up a bit. Even a year or two later, they may not even have water in their temple to, to be able to worship their deities. So just because we're devotees doesn't mean we, we aren't affected by these things. So Prabhupada also mentions in this purport, interestingly, uh, that uh, as people continue to exhaust the petroleum supply of the planet, that uh, and he, he identified that this petroleum is actually coming from the Earth's core. It's the center gravity field in the center of the Earth, and that petroleum keeps the Earth on balance. It's part of the balancing system uh, that's inherent in the Earth planet, and it controls the planet's equilibrium. And the more that we take away, we suck out this petroleum, which is probably the blood of the planet, the more the earth will go out of balance. And we're seeing that practically right now. When we think of global shifting and, you know, that there, there may have even in history been global shifts, it's because of what we're taking as human beings from the earth. And uh, sadly, uh, I, I hear from Australians that, uh, and I know from our president in the United States, and I know from the president or the prime minister of England, they're not taking this very seriously. They think it's all just illusion, that, that, uh, that what we eat and what we wear and what we drive and what we do affects the uh, environment. And so they're not doing anything to help. In fact, they're just increasing it. Just going like this to all the scientists who are telling telling them uh, what's really happening, and they're going, "Oh, this is not this is not important." And um, Prabhupada quotes the Bhagavad Gita that describes such leadership, this demoniac mentality that is actually uh, covering the consciousness of our leaders and uh, is contributing to our destruction. The verse goes like this. So much wealth do I have today, and I will gain more and more according to my schemes. He is my enemy, and I have killed him, and my other enemy will also be killed. And I am the Lord of everything. I am the enjoyer. I am perfect, powerful, and happy. I am the richest man, surrounded by aristocratic relatives. There is none so powerful and happy as I am. I shall perform sacrifices. I shall give some charity, and thus I shall rejoice. And in this way, such persons are deluded 
by ignorance. It, you know, sometimes we talk about, the, read the Krishna book, and all those demons like Kamsa, and then we have Ravana in the Rama, and we think, oh, they were all big demons from a former age. But actually, those, we have more demons in the world today. It's not just um, back then, thousands of years ago. This is a demonic mentality that is, is bent on destroying the world. They have no interest to uplift or affirm life. It's a difficult thing to convince a person who is uh, focused on a lifestyle of killing animals and taking intoxicants and um, involving themselves in illicit sex because from time from the time a person takes birth in a materialistic society, their family and their friends and their schools and their governments are teaching them that the goal of life is simply to, to enjoy, to the max, just to squeeze as much sense gratification as you can out of this body. And so when you say to someone, you know, actually this is all a lie, this is all not true, you can't be happy this way, you might have some flickering pleasure, but you can't be happy that way, um, they'll just think you're crazy. I mean, you just if try it to tell someone who is totally absorbed in materialistic life, They'll say, oh, you're just being too extreme. You're a fanatic. You Hare Krishna people, you're just a fanatic. And uh, many of us, like myself, have taken birth in families who consider a person's life to be successful if they have plenty of money in the bank. My 91-year-old mother says that frequently, you know. Oh, they're, that person, oh, they had a son who was very, very successful. They made a lot of money. They live in a really big house. Perhaps that's true in Indian society as well. They're using that wealth and material accumulation as being the the measure of a person's success. And I may remind her, you know, you know, you're saying that, but they're not happy. They have all that stuff, and they're working very hard, but underneath, they're not happy. And oh, I know, I know. Still, money isn't the goal of life, but it sure does bring peace of mind. That's a slogan I hear a lot, yeah. That's maybe true, right? So when Prabhupada came to the West, he saw how his disciples, many of them, were coming from wealthy families who um, had all those things. You know, we had televisions, we had uh, perhaps a farm, we had animals, we had pets, we had everything we needed. Um, But we weren't happy, and that's why we went searching And we found Prabhupada. But Prabhupada recognized that our story as Westerners was very much like the story of Prahlad Maharaj, who who had uh, taken birth in uh, a family of a demon. And uh, the demon, Hirangi Kasipu, was so angry and envious when he learned that uh, Prahlad Maharaj wanted to chant that he tried to kill him in so many ways. Um, that's, That's tragic, that you have a parent who is meant to be your support, your advocate, your protector, wants to kill you just for doing what? For chanting Hare Krishna, which doesn't harm anybody. And it also helps people. So sometimes we imagine Hirangi Kasipu to be this ugly demon. You know, when, when you see in children's comic books or in little movies and stuff, you'll see Hirangi Kasipu has... Uh, grotesque features, so it, he's totally removed from what we would think of as a demon, uh, a normal person. But um, actually, Hirangi Kasipu was uh, pretty much like the politicians and the leaders of this society. He was very polished, he knew how to manip- manipulate uh, society, he knew how to manip- manipulate people, businessmen, they're really polished. If you, you can point them out, if, if you see them on the street going to work, they're all slicked back and they, they're totally ironed, you know, and they're all ready to go out and conquer the world and get your money. That's the whole go- goal. That's their uniform. And they're trained. They go to school in, and get trained in so many ways how they can get your money, you know, advertisements. Um, my, my younger son, who lives in Los Angeles, has a five-year-old, and he's very aware of the, the propaganda that uh, many businesses target children because they know they're very impressionable and they're very, very um, vulnerable, which is why he homeschools instead of lets other people educate his child. 
But um, he said, yeah, that's like the McDonald's, what, what does he call the hamburger patch? You know, they have these puppets and, and children are then going home to their parents. I have to have a hamburger because I saw Ronald McDonald is in a hamburger patch. And so what a cruel, what a demonic meditation for businessmen to uh, think about. How am I going to get to the parents by polluting the consciousness of their children so that they will buy more. I mean, it's almost equal to ch- pornography, child child pornography, that 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 adults who you would would assume was thinking well well wishing or were well wishers of the future generation, they're actually preying on children in order to uh, exploit them. It's it's to me almost nauseating to think about. So I don't think about it a whole lot, but sadly. Um, people don't know the, how much they're being exploited by all the propaganda being pumped out. And um, like Narada Muni explained, people who are under the influence of their false ego, they don't even mind being exploited. They think it's fun. They think it's pleasurable. They feel get satisfaction by uh, being exploited by families and friends and by their leaders. Uh, it's astonishing to me how many people in America despite all the obvious corruption going on in our government, will continue to support Donald Trump. That is just, you, you just can't even imagine. What it tells you is how in ignorance the people are, how in illusion they are, because they're voting in someone like that. Uh, and just like Hirangi Kasipu uh, became angry and envious of Prahlad when he refused to take up his father's lifestyle and uh, path, Many of our parents rejected us when we uh, took took to surrendering to Srila Prabhupada's mission. And this is one reason why Prabhupada has us chanting the Shishinga prayers every morning after the arti. We sing these prayers. And uh, by singing these prayers, we are reminded uh, that Krishna is always protecting the devotees and to have faith that Krishna is supporting us when we take shelter of him. And in this way, we meditate on the pastime of how Krishna protected Prahlad Maharaj by incarnating as Nishingadev. So as followers of Mahajans like Prahlad Maharaj, we are actually uh, resisting. This is, we're kind of a resistance movement. We're res- resisting this, this uh, being controlled by such demoniac forces that are ruling the world. We're a revolution. The Hare Krishna movement is a revolution against this demoniac culture. And um, just like any resistance movement, we're putting our lives at stake when we go out there and we challenge this demoniac society. Uh, We're sacrificing our lives in so many ways, uh, even our livelihood sometimes, to uh, try to save the world from its ultimate destruction. Prabhupada explains that that's what real compassion means. Uh, that the real qualification of a servant of God is that they care so much about the welfare of other people that they're willing, if necessary, to die if need, to, to, to save it. Uh, we can study even in our history, American history, perhaps you have uh, other great people in uh, Australia. I know uh, on a tape I heard Prabhupada talk about uh, a, a general or a colonel in the Australian army named Sidney, something, I forget his first name, maybe you know if you've gone to school here, but how he was dying and he needed water to uh, survive or to even have comfort. And there was another man next to him in, who had been shot in, the, in some battle and he was dying as well and he insisted that the water go to the other man. And he died, and of course, that's why they named the town Sydney because he was such a he was such a servant of humanity. But in America or in India, you have Gandhi. He died uh, trying hard to uh, bring some change in the corrupt Indian culture. We have the Martin Luther King. He was also a force for change. Uh, he had some spiritual uh, inspiration to try and resist uh, slavery. And even President Kennedy we had, who was very compassionate among, uh, about people who didn't have much, people who were marginalized or they were, were being exploited. Um, but they all died. 
and uh, just for helping or trying to bring uh, relief to suffering humanity. Um, because as soon as you disturb the mind of an envious person, they're going to become angry at you. You've had maybe the experience yourself. Just like if you step on a dog's tail, it's going to try and bite you. If you've ever stepped on a dog or uh, he's I mean, somebody, a dog that you may be petting and you may think he's your friend, as soon as you hurt him, he's, ah, he's going to, to snap you. And uh, uh, Prabhupada pointed very often to Jesus Christ, uh, if, if you read some of his lectures, hear his lectures in his books, and what a great devotee he was, uh, that he was willing to sacrifice his whole life uh, to save humanity. Uh, and that's why Prabhupada would call him our guru. He would call, so many times refer to Jesus as our guru. He's our teacher. Um, and that's a, a symptom of a devotee because someone like Jesus who tried very hard to help people understand uh, God, he didn't blame them when they, they uh, tortured him and killed him even because he was uh, trying to teach them. Instead of blaming them, or accusing them for hurting him in that way, or even killing him. He knew that it was actually Krishna behind that. He knew that he was destined to die if he was going to follow the order of Krishna. He knew that uh, if he brought the good news of uh, the fact that the kingdom of God was within you and not in external material things, uh, that that he would he would ultimately be protected by Krishna, even if they killed his body. He knew he was safely at the lotus feet of his Lord. Um, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that uh, when we take shelter of him, it saves us from the greatest fear. So what is the greatest fear for a devotee? Yeah, yeah. And why is that, that a terrible thing? Exactly, is that the biggest fear is that we forget Krishna and we are put in a situation where we cannot possibly remember Krishna. And uh, because like in Jesus' situation, he knew I'm not this body. They can kill my body, they don't kill me. And I'm safe in the hands of my Lord Krishna. And, um, and so he was willing to make that sacrifice, knowing that whether I live or whether I die, Krishna is right there. But it would be a terrible thing if I were to uh, forego my faith in Krishna in order to please the materialistic society because I'm in the danger then of forgetting Krishna in a most important time. So for a devotee, living without Krishna is actually hell. It's a hellish situation uh, because the experience of forgetting Krishna is like being burnt by fire. It's a terrible situation to be surrounded by people who don't have any words to glorify Krishna. It's a very hellish situation. I know because I've had to, I have had to circulate in many materialistic circles as a chaplain and now living with my mother who is not all that bad, but to hear the sound vibration repeatedly of the glorification of the name, form, pastimes, and activity activities of mundane people, it, it, it breaks my heart. I mean, I physically feel, uh, it's, it's, a, it's like being stabbed in the heart when you're like, oh my God, let's hear something about Krishna. I don't want to hear all of this stuff. It, may, it, it, it does violence to the heart. And uh, for a devotee, it's hellish to be in that association. So I'm aware of the time, and I'm going to stop here and see if there might be a uh, question, comment, uh, reflection, and so we can take our discussion further. So, anybody have something to add? Yeah.
Yes. Same thing with milk that's not ahimsa milk. That's a big controversial topic for us as devotees. And Prabhupada knew these things were going on. It's not like Prabhupada was ignorant that the animals were being slaughtered, you know, when we take milk from factory farmed animals. Now, thankfully, uh, many temples are uh, organizing to have ahimsa milk. And so we have it. There's two ways to look at it. You can look at it in a materialistic way and think, think of the material outcome of a silkworm or an, a cow, which uh, if you don't have to participate it, pay in it, you're better off. Other people have, other devotees have the view, and Prabhupada sometimes explained it like this, that the cows that you are drinking the milk of, by offering their cow, their milk, to Krishna, somehow or other that gives those cows purpose. It links them up, you know, even though they're not aware, the animals have been tortured and slaughtered. But because that milk has been offered to Krishna, it actually uplifts the cow. It it perhaps even makes them eligible to take a human birth in their next life. That's so powerful. So some devotees are thinking in this way, even about silk. If you take... Silk, and you offer it to the deities, even if it involves the suffering of another animal, uh, it, it actually liberates the animal in some way. Still, your point is well taken. Uh, it's, very, it's a very difficult line to go, and I prefer not to wear silk for that reason, but uh, to offer it to the deity uh, that attracts so many people to their lotus feet. You can think in terms of the, cook, the silkworm being a, a Sankatan warrior in that sense, sacrificing its life to bring people to Krishna. Same thing with cows. If you take a step back in animal slaughter, you start to really think, well, how did these cows get there? Well, these are the slaughter, people who were slaughtering cows in a previous lifetime. So now they have to experience it because they were not compassionate. So now they have to experience what it feels like to be slaughtered. So in some ways they, have, they deserved it, they earned it. But devotees are much more compassionate than that. They try to, even, even people who deserve the punishment, they try to help elevate them. And we know that the only way to free a person from the darkness of ignorance is by offering anything to Krishna, somehow getting them engaged. So that's a redeeming quality even of non-ahimsa milk. If you, one, one bad thing about non-ahimsa milk is that they take out the vitamin A, and they put in fish oil. So even though you're drinking milk, you're drinking milk with fish oil in it. So it, it kind of gets you, Kali Yuga gets you coming and going. It's, it's almost impossible to escape it. Like stepping on bugs, you know, the whole thing of stepping on an ant. Um, you know, Prabhupada explains that the only way to free yourself from the karma that you're making all the time by hurting animals and bugs and stuff is to be fully engaged in Krishna's service. So that if something dies in the line of serving Krishna, you are not uh, you are not considered at fault. So just be absorbed in Krishna's service all the time. That's the way to escape that karma. Does that make sense? Yeah. What else? Anything else? Oh, yes. That's a very good question. Why, why did uh, Narada Muni not start? Why, he waste so much time writing all those Vedas. Why didn't he start there? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know why. Uh, can you add some insight to that? Oh, the question was that Narada Muni told uh, Vyasadeva that uh, after he wrote all the Vedas that he should uh, read Srimad, write Srimad Bhagavatam. And he's saying, why did he not do that in the first place? <laughs> why did he go through all the struggle to do the, write all those Vedas without? Why didn't he just do the, the easy thing? <laughs> I don't know. Well, in the Vedas, there's so much teaching that, that helps people that may not be on the level of desiring the Bhakti. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good answer. I, you know, there may be more to it than that, but uh, but I think your question is very intelligent. And uh, why did he not uh, save himself the time? And as Vijay says, that the Vedas are really meant to prepare our hearts to come to bhakti, 
but Lord Chaitanya is so merciful, and uh, Narada Muni, we are all di- coming down in the line even of Narada Muni. He was, he was helping people become liberated immediately, that we don't need to go through all of those long purification processes. If we just glorify Krishna, we immediately are lifted out, and we can experience ourselves as uh, pure, perfect, pure, eternally joyful people. So, but what a smart question. You're a very smart boy. Thank you. Anything else? Yeah. Well, there's a saying that when Krishna loves you, he gives you opulence. When he loves you even more, he takes it all away. So, um, you know, that that may happen to some of us, uh, that we may, in the beginning, as we start notice, start practicing Krishna consciousness, we may start uh, notice that our life gets better, it becomes more comfortable, we get, you know, special uh, things. Some people increase their income through their work. Krishna blesses them in so many ways. Um, Certainly when we started practicing Krishna consciousness, we noticed we felt a lot of joy in the beginning because the karma kind of stops. If you stop uh, acting for yourself and you act for Krishna, then your life becomes more peaceful. But over time, if you don't continue to make that endeavor and perform that sacrifice um, uh, with meaning and you don't go deeper and get more mature, then... um, you know, you you stop re- receiving more. And so uh, Krishna is interacting with each of us in a very, very personal way. And he knows exactly what we need in order for us to come closer to him. So some people are at a place that they become encouraged when they have opulences and, and special favors. And so they may need those in order to uh, support them while they're getting a taste for hearing and chanting. But once a person has that taste or the wealth of, of hearing and chanting, sometimes Krishna takes that all away, or they just stop working for it. They just lose that interest. Like we see in Prabhupada's example, that he, as a householder, he was a very successful businessman for a while until he started to focus all his energy on preaching activities and uh, following the order of his guru. And then he, you know, he didn't have as much money. But eventually Krishna made a, an arrangement that all of his needs were taken care of. Um, Prabhupada often would say, if we focus on the money, preaching may not come. But if we focus on the preaching, the money will come. And so uh, devotees who have given up everything for Krishna need to know that uh, Krishna is always there taking care of us. We have nothing to fear. I don't know if that was your question, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that, that is true. And, and uh, this is why whatever we get, we need to know it is, it is actually Krishna's property and it needs to be used in, Krish, in Krishna's service. And if we don't do that, yeah, we can become degraded by those things. And since Prabhupada explains that uh, wealth, uh, education, and beauty are the three things that people get enamored with and make them very, very proud of of their money, their education, their uh, uh, wealth, education. What was the third one? Beauty. That they thinking, I'm the center. And when you're proud, when you're arrogant, then all knowledge is taken away. Uh, it's said in the scriptures that austerity is the wealth of the brahmanas. And the real, the real wealth is the wealth that can never be taken away. So a person who has a, a nice house... Uh, that can all be taken away. A job, you can lose your job in a minute. But if you know how to practice the austerity 
and the sacrifice of engaging in hearing, chanting, remembering, and serving, then that's a guarantee that everything will come because by your austerities, all wealth that is needed will come. That's true wealth. You can't take it away. No one can steal it from you. Anything else? What about a reflection? What are you taking away today? One thought. One thought you heard today that you will take out of this room. Yeah. He's laughing. Well, he's laughing. It is. Yes. It is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And um, people who risk their life, they find joy in it because they're not afraid. They don't see it as a risk. They see them, themselves as being in the arms of Krishna. But sometimes things happen that, that uh, can be harmful. I, I know in Ireland, when my husband and I would go on Harnam, we would take the devotees. In Northern Ireland, there was a lot of uh, military things happening. And a lot of drunk people, a lot of, a lot of uh, in Ireland is like the alcohol capital of the world. I mean, they don't have any sunlight, and uh, the priests are the, the priests themselves, the Irish priests are the highest number of people on Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. So meat and alcohol is a big, big thing. But when we were on Harinam, I remember uh, standing there with my mouth open, wide open, singing, Hare Krishna that a drunk man came and spit in my mouth to the point where I could smell, I could taste his alcohol and hamburger. Now that's disgusting. That's disgusting. That's something that would make you want to never go out on Harinam again. But we went anyway, you know. But in the early days, horrible things would happen to us, like in Germany when we were there doing book distribution, there was a time when they did um, very negative uh, newspaper articles about the Hare Krishna movement. And um, they actually came one morning. We were in the temple room, which is where we had prasadam. And they surrounded the whole building with uh, police and military who had machine guns pointed at the uh, temple. And we didn't know that we were in having prasadam, that they had come and locked us in to this temple room. When we looked out the window, we could see all these AK-47s pointed at us. It was very frightening. And they, they put us, you know, men, women, they locked the women in some rooms. They put the brahmacharis and locked us all in and started to hack away at the building. Um, and so uh, they took everything. They took our cars. They took, a, you know, they took our food. And we, we didn't know how to go forward for a period of time. But, um, and when we would go out to do books, because that was the only thing we knew how to do, the people would do things like take cigarettes and burn, you know, uh, uh, push them into your back or your face or something. Or they would take your books and they would rip them up and stamp on them or throw them away. Uh, we have many stories like that. I have a story that I remember of my husband, who was uh, very involved in Sankatan at that time. Pritu does. And uh, Rohini Sutta and Mani Dara and him were the three top book distributors at, when Prabhupada was leaving his plant, the body. And he was out on the walking zone uh, in Germany. They didn't, they didn't have cars. You just walk up and down. And uh, one man saw him distributing books, and he was so envious and so angry. He said, now I'm going to kill you. If you don't stop doing this book, you all are just phony fake people I'm going to so my husband in his fear he started to run and he the man chased him down the street and he thought he thought well I'll duck into this chemist so he runs into the chemist and the guy comes in after him and they're running around running around running and he goes out and he trips my husband trips on the doorway and he's laying on the carpet in front of the door and the man pulls out his umbrella and he starts to beat him with his umbrella and there were some very politically correct German people watching, and they said, "You can't do this. This is not fair. This is not appropriate. You shouldn't do." It. So they started fighting with the man, and he got so busy fighting with them that my husband got up and started running again. He thought, "Why well, get away from this man? He was a terrible." 
So it, in about a half an hour, an hour, he thought he was clear. He went back out and started to distribute more books. And he saw in the distance, here comes this man again who had beaten him with his umbrella. And he thought, oh, my God, I'm going to sneak into this clothes shop so he doesn't see me this time, you know. And so he got in a clothes shop, and he, and he hid behind some coats, you know, how like in Iraq he kind of hid behind some coats, hope, praying to Nishingadev, this, this guy is going to not come in the shop and he's not going to see me. And sure enough, the man had seen him come in the shop, and he was coming towards him behind the coats. And um, he just, my husband just started to chant the Nishinga prayers. A lot of devotees had to take shelter this way because there was so much danger on the street. And he kept just chanting. He thought, if I'm going to die now, let me at least die thinking of Krishna. So the man came over and he was studying him, my husband, making all these mantra. And, he, and my husband opened his eye to see and he was standing like right in front of him. And he said, so what are you doing? What, what are you doing there in the coats? The man who had beaten him. He said, I followed you here because I wanted to apologize. I wanted to apologize for um, being so rude to you and so angry and so abusive. And he said, I wanted to know what, what it was that you were selling. What are the books? And he bought a book, a Bhagavad Gita, which is just an astonishing, it's like an astonishing story how Krishna intervenes in the devotee's life. So if you're, if you're in danger, please pray to Lord Nishikri, because he, he definitely is there, and he will protect his devotee. So it's almost quarter till. Should we stop? Is it time? Yeah. Okay. Hare Krishna. Sita Prabhupada Ki Jai.